Welcome to Lifestyle Solopreneur, the community for entrepreneurs who put lifestyle first. Join your host, Flavia Barris, as she interviews successful lifestyle solopreneurs and shares ideas to help you find the perfect balance between lifestyle, business, and self. Flavia is an attorney, marketing expert, and founder of several online academies. She's been featured in major media, including BBC World News, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Post, ESPN Television, and more. Join us for this episode of Lifestyle Solopreneur. Hey, Lifestyle Solopreneurs. Today, we get to speak with Sari Ibrahim. He is a financial specialist, private money lender, real estate investor, and member of the Bank on Yourself organization. He helps business owners, real estate investors, and full-time employees grow safe and predictable wealth, regardless of market conditions. Using a financial strategy that's been around for over 160 years, he started this journey when he was in grad school completing his MBA. He worked for companies like Allstate, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Cigna Health Spring, and Humana before founding Financial Asset Protection, a financial services firm that focuses on one sole concept, the bank on yourself concept. Thank you and welcome to the show. Hey, Flavia. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to have you on today. I am intrigued on what this bank on yourself concept is. But before we get to that, tell us a little bit about how you ended up where you are today. Yeah, definitely. So I started this journey about halfway through my MBA program. I started working at Allstate Insurance. And I felt like I had this passion for working with people, right? Solving problems, listening to their needs. And and it was beyond just insurance and financial services. At that point, it was more of working with people. And I realized at that point that I wanted to make a career out of this and not only a career, but also to be self-employed in this area. So I left that and then started my own company called Financial Asset Protection. So we're a full service financial services firm. We were located in Chicago, but like 99% of our business is done remotely. So we work with clients in all 50 states and sometimes outside of the US, depending on the situation. And then that also led to starting our own podcast called Thinking Like a Bank podcast. And the, the podcast is meant to kind of teach the listeners strategies and principles that banks use. So that way they can apply them, apply those strategies to find financial freedom in their life. So that's kind of the, the brand I'm building. And I do it on podcast episodes like this, as well as our podcast. I want to help people reach financial freedom, whatever that means to them. I help them reach financial freedom and really solve these financial problems that are holding them back in life. There's folks who think of banks and they don't really realize that banks have strategies in place, right? They're like, oh, the bank just takes my money, charges me a bunch of fees, and someday I can withdraw from my ATM or whatever. But banks are very strategic. I mean, they in the banking world, there are so many different strategies. So I'm very curious, what is it that you teach that parallels to what banks do, but that individuals can do? Maybe just give us one mm-hmm. of those. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. They, there's a lot of strategy, right? So like, I think when you go to a lot of people think when they go to the bank and like they deposit, like, let's just say $1,000 in their checking account, and then they go back and they withdraw, it's like, a lot of people would think that there's a vault in the bank, and then they put because their physical cash in there, and then they go back and they take out from their physical cash. And that's not necessarily how banks work. It's, it's, it, there's a lot more leverage involved. So like, imagine you have like a box on and, and on the left side of the box, you have people who deposit their money. And on the right side of the box, you have people who borrow money. And then the bank kind of is the middleman between that. And they, they charge both people, right? Some check a lot of checking accounts and savings accounts charge fees. You have to use there's certain rules that apply. 
and then vice versa, they charge the borrowers interest and sometimes fees as well. So they're they're kind of in the middle of both ends as like the middleman. And in every situation, right? Every business, they're almost in, they're they're literally involved in every type of business in every region, in every territory, all over all over the world. So that's kind of the, the one of the ways that we teach teach our clients. We introduce them to that original idea. Then after that, it's let's say you're a business owner and you have certain expenses. Some expenses are due you know, in a month, some are due in a year, some are due in six months. What if you could earn compound interest on on that money before you pay it out to your expenses? So in other words, you're like the bank at that situation. You're like the middleman between the revenue you earn and the expenses you pay out. So that's one way. We, there's many ways, but that's just to keep it brief and simple to understand. That's one way we help clients be, uh, become their own bank and on, and apply at least one banking strategy in their business. Well, I'm sure there's people listening who thought, wait a minute, when I go and deposit a check for $1,000 at the bank, they turn around and lend it to someone else. <laughs> Maybe that's kind of horrifying. Like, why is my money not sitting at the bank all safe and sound? But there's so much involved in it, right? And it's it's not quite as risky as it sounds that they're out there lending your money out. But so what you're saying is you find ways to help people make their money more productive instead of just kind of sitting around. Is that? Do you think that when someone just keeps their money in a checking account, that's a really bad idea? Yeah, depending on the amount of money. Like if they have, for example, uh, 50% of their net worth in, in cash in a bank account, yeah, there's a loss of opportunity cost. Because every day, especially like between 2021 and now, like the last two years, inflation is like really high. Usually inflation is like two or 3% year after year. But over, you know, 2021 to now, it's like eight, some, some people would say like 10% inflation. So that means that if you have your money sitting in the bank, the cost of things outside of the bank are going up, which which reduces your buying power. It loses the, your, your money loses buying power. So in other words, it's almost like a, a secret tax or a secret fee you're paying. So that's one way. And the other, the other thing too is loss of opportunity costs, right? Like your money could be deployed in, in different places. And then that could yield a higher internal rate of return. So you could be making more money in different places. And one of my favorite books or favorite philosophies is Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And in the book, he talks about a lot of people, I think when I'm on podcasts and when I hear podcasts, they talk about like the real estate aspect. But one thing I like about Robert Kiyosaki's philosophy is he talks about the investment experience, not just the investment gains you get from investments, but the investment experience. And what that means is, like when you invest in real estate or you invest in stocks or mutual funds or wherever you're investing into or your own business for that matter, you gain experience, you gain investment experience. And it's not necessarily the dollar amount that you give back, but it's the the actual experience, almost like work experience, but within your own investments. And that is way more important. That investment experience is way more important than the dollar amount. So that's another big loss too. When you have money sitting in a bank account, you're missing out on investment experience. And especially when you're when you're young, you can't go back in time. I mean, when you get older, you can't go back in time and say, "Well, I, well, I wish I was younger and I invested earlier." So that's kind of the thing. And, I, and of course, but at the same time, you you still need, I believe, as a, as a financial planner, I recommend to clients they have emergency reserves. Typically, some say three months of your expenses, some say six, some say even twelve months of your expenses. I think it depends, right? It, it depends on a number of factors. I would say somewhere in the middle there. Like I. I recommend six months of your expenses saved. So that way, if you do have an emergency, you don't have to like sell assets at a discount or pay taxes or penalties. You already have the the cash liquid. Well, I mean, that is such a good 
thing to think about too is emergency cash, especially because in the last few years, a lot of people did face emergencies and did dip into their savings and did have some really trying situations. Um, It's been kind of a wild ride. How has the pandemic and COVID sort of changed you and your business and your outlook or has it not really affected you? Yeah, it changed. So I... I, luckily, I was already virtual and remote before COVID. I that was kind of the the mission I was on to build a 100% like virtual remote practice even before COVID. So when COVID happened, I guess there was a lot of uncertainty, and I guess people weren't sure that whether they should invest, whether they should or they should do the opposite. They should go to cash. I think it changed a lot as far as assuming that something is always going to be there. That that's kind of like what happened with us internally like thinking that something's always going to be the same and COVID changed that, right? It gave you, it, it proves to you that not everything is going to be the exact same as it was previously. But other than that, it didn't really affect uh, the, the business that much. Like I have friends and clients who own restaurants and own other types of businesses that are more client facing, customer facing businesses and they, and everything changed for them, right? Like some of them even left the industries, they completely transitioned with us. I feel like in a way we were kind of built for what happened with COVID and especially the strategies that we help clients with are recession proof and they work in any situation, especially when you're in a pandemic recession like economy. So I like to ask people on the scale of not at all a workaholic to total workaholic, like where do you fall on that spectrum and what is your personal life and work life balance like? Yeah, awesome question. I really, I really like this question a lot. I, so I try to be, so if you were to, I guess, like say like zero for not workaholic at all and like 10, is that what the scale was? Well, I didn't give a numerical scale, but one to 10 would, would work. So one would be someone who is just, it's almost hard to get yourself to work. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you're really into like just free time and, and enjoying a hedonist. Right. And then Mm -hmm. 10 would be a workaholic who hardly sees daylight because you just get so absorbed in your work and in your career. And if you have a business as a business owner, you're one of those people who's on call 24 seven and sort of happy to do it in a way, but your personal life suffers. So that would be the one to 10 if we're giving numbers out. Good. Okay. So I would probably be between seven and eight and it's intentional. So if I wanted to, I have, I think I have the drive to do 10, but to be 10 out of 10 workaholic, but I intentionally choose not to. Because I've been, I've something I do a lot is as an entrepreneur, I I read a lot. I've I've read a lot of books, especially the most recent books. One of them called the 10x is easier than 2x and Who Not How, as well as Traction and Good to Great. And then I, I'm I'm reading Napoleon Hill's book right now, Think and Grow Rich Again. I read it like three times over the last ten years. And a common trend I'm seeing is that when you if you want to exceed in your business, you want to improve your increase your revenue, you want to improve your livelihood, the answer isn't to overwork yourself and work more. And then it's also like that, that cliche saying like work smarter, not harder. I think that's a it, that's a that's a vague thing. You still have to work hard. It's not just work smart. It's working hard, I think, at working smart. That's the that's my philosophy. So I, I'm, at, I'm at like between seven and eight out of 10. And I do that on purpose. So that way I can, I don't burn myself out. And I also maintain my passion for what I do. Because if I'm constantly at 10, I think that I'm going to be highly inefficient. And I think that really the answer to success is not overkilling yourself with, with work. I saw this post on LinkedIn once that said, the worst trade you can make is trade your health for wealth. 
I'm a big believer in that. I think that your mental health and your physical health come before anything else, before your bills, before your clients. And then also I'm a big believer in like saying no more than saying yes. So this has changed the dynamic of my business and working with clients. Before I used to just jump on any client call, jump on any Zoom meeting, answer text messages. You know, if a client wanted to have an hour meeting at 7 p.m., I would do that. It was kind of a client would ask me to jump and I would say how high kind of mentality. And now it's completely far more filtered and way more, I guess, lean. I like I have a, a specific like set of standards of who I work with. And then also like filters, like I don't, I absolutely do not take calls after five o'clock, not because I'm lazy or I just not in the mood, but because so that way I could recharge for the next day and I could be on point for the next day. Also, I only typically take on meetings with clients that are scheduled. I very, very rarely just randomly answer the phone or randomly call clients It's scheduled on both ends. And that helps me and the clients both prepare for the meeting and also prepare for how long the meeting is going to be. And doing those things, I could literally work from the morning until 5 o'clock p.m. without being tired at all, without being exhausted, without yawning at all, just because of like how organized everything is now. Whereas if I was constantly working, there would be no end date. You know, it could be five o'clock, it could be eight o'clock, it could be nine o'clock. So to answer this really long answer, I'm at like seven or eight intentionally as a, as a workaholic. Well, that was a really great answer. And I think gave listeners a lot of ideas on maybe ways they can tweak the way they arrange their own workday, just to achieve your level of like satisfaction with how it's going and how much time you spend at work and working on on your business. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit, because I loved you do a lot of investing. I mean, you have experience and exposure to all kinds of investing. And I know there's no one perfect way to invest. It's all about diversification and strategy and everyone for each person, there's sort of a different optimal investment strategy. But do you have like a pet favorite? You know, like, do you personally prefer one kind of, and I'm sure you do lots of them, but which one is like your favorite? Yeah, I really, I'm a big, I'm a big real estate investor, or I actually, sorry, let me take that back. I'm, I'm really big on real estate investing. So I, oh, I invest in real estate myself. I always help clients invest in real estate because of the predictability, the safety behind it. It's an asset you can own. It, it's not as volatile as, as the stock market. And there's also a lot of potential for, for real estate. And also we connect that, the real estate investments with the bank on yourself strategy. But before I go to the bank on yourself strategy, I want to just go back to the investments for a second. So with investments, with all investments, there are generally two types of investments. And you don't really hear this often, but because a lot of people, I guess, miss this. And I, and I see this a lot talking to clients is that there are active investments and then there are passive investments. Active is where you are engaged. Like for example, if you're an active real estate investor, you are actively buying properties, you're talking to tenants, contractors, you're actively involved, you sign personally on the property, all that stuff. Whereas when you're a limited, uh, limited partner or a passive investor, you don't do any, any of that. The only thing you do is fund the deal or, and agree, you sign, the, you, you have your attorney, your accountant, look over the deal, you sign, you have your financial advisor also give you feedback, you sign a, a contract, you fund the deal, you're completely limited, right? You're limited in the sense of liability and you're limited in the sense of control. You can't really control. And that, that could be a good thing if you're really busy already. If you have a, a very busy active job, like you're a doctor or a lawyer, some other job where you're, you're really busy, you don't have time to do real estate. So I think that's a really important distinction to make is you want to be on the active side and the passive side. And it's not just for real estate, but also for any, any type of investment for that matter, right? Like you want to 
differentiate between being, you want to make the decision, like, are you going to be active or passive and really understand the differences and understand your roles. And then uh, on top of that, I, even the clients that are completely active and they're always been active in businesses and, and entrepreneurship, I do recommend that they look into the passive world because you don't want your income to increase. You don't want your income to increase with your time also to increase as well. You want, and this is what I'm aiming for, to decrease the amount of time you, you work and yet increase your assets and increase the income you're getting. And the only way you could do so, the only way is passive investing. You can't do so really entirely actively managing everything and holding on to everything. It's going to be, you're going to keep the, the more assets you accumulate, the more hours you're going to work. Uh, whereas if you do transition into that passive side and, and hiring others and delegating, that's how you're going to make more money and work less time. And then we take all that and then we also kind of connect that with the bank on yourself strategy and help clients do both. They use bank on yourself to find passive investment opportunities. And so define bank on yourself. So give us the like high level review of what this concept is and why you came up with this concept. It says it's been around for 160 years, but you've now explained the concept in a way that people can understand it. So give us a little bit of info about it. Yeah, absolutely. So the the bank on yourself concept was originally introduced in Pamela Yellen's book called The Bank on Yourself Revolution. She trademarked the term bank on yourself. And what it is, it's a way for you to, number one, become your own source of financing. And number two, create a hedge against market volatility. And then number three, save on taxes. So in the way you do that is it's using a specially designed cash value whole life insurance. And then for those of you who have no idea what I just said, there are typically, in general, two types of life insurance. There is term life insurance, which is just a set period of time life insurance, and it just has a life insurance part only. And then there's cash value life insurance, which is it has life insurance, and it's also, it also has cash value. And there's different types of cash value life insurance. There are some that follow the stock market, some are fixed, some are indexed, some are... There's all types of different types of cash value. So we focus on cash value whole life insurance. So that way you have a life policy you have cash value in it. The cash grows at a guaranteed basis. Plus you get dividends, which are typically not guaranteed. Well, we only work with insurance companies who have a proven track record of paying out dividends for like a, you know well over a hundred years, easily well over a hundred years. So that's what it is. That the, the actual asset that you're using is a specially designed whole life policy. And then it builds up cash and then you could then leverage the cash. You could use it for other investments. And then the benefit of doing that, like why do people do that? It's so that way they could hedge against risk. That way it's almost like in a way, an insurance policy for your investments. This way, if the investment goes down, it goes south, you have the whole life policy. It's still going to keep growing. And then there's a lot of tax benefits. The loans are typically tax-free. The withdrawals are tax-free. The income, depending on how it's structured, I'd say in most situations, it is tax-free. And it's a way for you to kind of escape the banking system and escape the Wall Street casino where you're just hoping and praying that your retirement account is going to be there for retirement. You could skip all that and then implement the bank on yourself strategy in your financial life. So for anyone that's listening and is at Square zero. And I mean, someone who went to school at some point, graduated either from high school or college, maybe graduate school, and then just kind of got a job, monthly or biweekly paycheck, maybe weekly paycheck, putting the money away, the money comes in, the money goes out. There's really not a lot of investment strategy, maybe a 401k at work. But someone who's kind of a newbie to taking charge of their own finances and putting some strategy in place. What do you think is a really good 
first step for someone in that situation to do? First step, I would heavily recommend self-education, right? So not just um, the traditional approach to education where school, but rather your own education, listen to podcasts like this, take notes, you know, attend, you know, seminars, webinars, kind of consume as much self-education as you can. And then I would also recommend that you journal your goals. I'd like maybe even on a daily basis, document your goals and your vision and what you want to do with your money. What do you want your money to do for you? Set goals as far as income goals, saving goals, net worth, invest. What are you passionate about? What do you want to invest in? Kind of document these things through a journey. I'd also recommend that you work with a coach, but probably I would recommend the first two because it's free, right? It's free to listen to podcasts. It's free to listen to watch YouTube videos, read books. I think those are all the free things. I would leverage all those. And then obviously it's free to journal and free to document your goals and your vision. And then most likely I would recommend working with a financial coach or someone who is really big on financial coaching. And it's a little bit different from a financial advisor. There is no official distinction. It's not like there some financial advisors are also financial coaches and vice versa. Some financial coaches are also advisors. The difference is their ability to work with you, right? Because if you're a square zero and then you go and you contact a big bank and you contact their wealth management division, they're probably going to, I bet you, they're probably going to say, well, you know, your assets are under $500,000. So when they do get to that point, give us a call and we'll help, we'll help you. And a lot of financial advisors do operate in that way where they have to have a minimum asset net worth or asset amount for the, for, for them to work with you because it has to be worth your time. So a financial coach is probably going to be a better fit. Somebody who's more open-ended and is going to get paid for their time helping you, not necessarily for managing your investments. I think that's probably going to be a better fit for you. And then and then it's, it's really important. Again, it's really important to work with a, a person that can help you achieve your goals because they can hold you accountable. They can open your eyes to different ideas and different investments and also more about you, right? But that's a, it's a huge thing in entrepreneurship and in investing is that you need to know more about yourself. You need to have a lot of self-awareness. You need to know what you're passionate about, where your strengths and weaknesses are, what you want to truly do, not just what you say you want to do, but what do you truly want to do and being very honest with yourself. I think that's what all those things I would recommend to somebody at Square Zero. And so if someone wants to either connect with you directly or learn more about your company and what you do, where would they go to connect? Yeah, Flavia, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. The best way to reach me, you can go to thinkinglikeabank.com or I have a finassetsprotection.com. Either one will take you to my calendar. So probably the easier one to remember, thinkinglikeabank.com. You can go there, you can schedule a time, you could download an ebook, you could uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. All those things are found at thinkinglikeabank.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Sari, you are such an expert in this area. And it's always enlightening to speak to somebody that has so much experience in investing and just getting the wheels turning for everybody. So thank you for being on the show today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Guess what, lifestyle solopreneurs? If you don't yet have an online business earning you enough passive income to live the life of your dreams, I'd like to suggest you consider trying out Kajabi. Kajabi is an all-in-one solution where you can create and teach online courses, publish a paid newsletter, launch a free or paid podcast, process payments, build one-on-one coaching portals for your clients, and much, much more. I personally use Kajabi to power numerous successful and profitable online businesses. Lifestyle solopreneurs, there's a free trial of Kajabi waiting for you at this link 
www.kfreetrial.com. You can try Kajabi for free, no obligation, by going to www.kfreetrial.com. Again, kfreetrial.com, and that K stands for Kajabi. Starting an online business helped me break free from that corporate grind, and I hope it does the same for you. You have nothing to lose and absolutely everything to gain. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and see you next time.